Hello, hello, and welcome back to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today we're discussing the new film, Women Talking, from director Sarah Polly and starring Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, Ben Wishaw, and Francis McDormand. You're listening to part two, though you can listen in any order. In this episode, we're talking to Maddie Modell about the film, the novel, thoughts about the adaptation from book to screen, and a closer look at the religious themes of the story. Don't go anywhere. Welcome to Art House Garage. Women Talking is my favorite film of 2022, and so I'm thrilled that I got to discuss it on the podcast twice. First, in part one, with film critic and faith and culture writer, Lindsay Dunn. Go back in your podcast feed and check that one out if you haven't. We have a wonderful examination of the film with a primary focus on the cinematic merits of women talking. In part two, which you're listening to now, I'm joined by Maddie Modell. Maddie is someone I've known for a long time, and I really appreciate her views on faith, literature, feminism, and a number of other topics. I love the film Women Talking so much that I decided to read the book, and when I posted about it on Twitter, Maddie responded that it's one of her favorite books of all time. Because of this, and the fact that she's currently a seminary student, I knew we could have a rich discussion about women talking. And we did. And I'm excited for you to hear it in just a moment. If you don't know anything about Women Talking, it's the latest film from writer-director Sarah Polly, based on the novel of the same name by Miriam Tives. The story follows a group of women living in an isolated religious community who have a crisis of faith when they discover the men of the colony have been physically and sexually abusing the women for a long time. They meet in secret to decide if they should stay or leave the colony. The discussions they have about faith and doubt, religion, the Bible, patriarchy, and trauma had a profound impact on me as I was watching and later reading the story. If you haven't seen it, it's still playing in theaters now, and I encourage you to pick up the book as well. The film is also Oscar-nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Picture. Before we get into the discussion, I encourage you to follow Maddie online. You can find her on Instagram as at Reads and on Twitter as the Maddie May. I will link both of those in the show notes. By the way, about halfway through, we do get into some spoilers, but there is a spoiler warning beforehand, so you can listen ahead right now and just tune out at that point. There also isn't really terribly much to spoil about this film, because I think it's a lot more about sitting with these characters in this complex and difficult situation, but there are some plot points late in the story you might not want to know before watching. So if you haven't watched the film, you may not want to continue listening. If you have watched the film, but you haven't read the book, I encourage you to read it, but you also don't have to read it before listening to this. I know a lot of people like myself don't have a ton of time for reading, and I hope this conversation can serve as a good primer, give some context to the film if you don't think you'll be reading it. But again, I highly recommend the book. I only read a handful of books each year, and I'm very glad Women Talking is one of them. Okay, that's enough preamble. Now here is my discussion with Maddie Modell about the film and the book, Women Talking. Why does love, the absence of love, the end of love, the need for love, result in so much violence? It was all waiting to happen before it happened. You could look back and follow the breadcrumbs along the path that led to violence. When we looked back, it had been everywhere. It is a part of our faith to forgive. We would be forced to leave the colonies if we do not forgive these men. None of you will listen to reason. We know that we've not imagined these attacks. We know that we are bruised and terrified. Hope for the unknown is good. Just better than hatred of the familiar. We cannot endure any more violence. We have been preyed upon like animals. Maybe we should respond like animals. How would you feel if in your entire life it never mattered what you thought? And we've liberated ourselves. We will have to ask ourselves who we are. 
Maddie Modal, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm so excited to talk to you about women talking, specifically kind of the book and, and how it was adapted into this film. Um, I read it. I mean, I loved the movie. And I, in fact, it was like my favorite movie of last year. And I was like, I really would like to read this book. And I was like, maybe I can read the book kind of to prep for the podcast. Um, mm -hmm. Still not planning to really talk about the book that much on the show. And then tweeted actually I, I just put it on goodreads and i didn't realize it was going to automatically tweet and then you saw it and like, <laughs> yeah oh that's my favorite book ever so uh I was yes. like, well, we got to talk about this so thank you so much for coming on the show and uh i can't wait to talk about this book with you um yeah, yeah so i mean i guess we can kind of get into it i, I thought it might be good just to I, I think i said you didn't need to do any kind of intro but just to uh explain who you are as you know you are yeah. a seminary student and uh I don't know, we, we know each other from kind of being in the same college uh, world of uh, Washtenaw Baptist University uh, mm -hmm. back in the day. But yeah, so what are you studying now and um, kind of what's your academic background, I guess? Yeah, for sure. So I'll start with undergrad. Um, that's where we have the most in common. Um, yes. uh, a lot of mutual friends and connections and mentors as, uh, yeah. as well, I think. Um, so in undergrad, I was a literature major. Um, so our nickname for the English department at <laughs> OBU is the bug truck. So I'm a bug truck grad. Um, and that's really where my heart for literature and um, lit crit uh, yeah. grew. Um, and specifically, I was really excited about um, theological themes in literature and literary themes in scripture. Um, so I'm really passionate about the interdisciplinarity of theology and literature. Um, and that's where I got married to my own film nerd. Um, <laughs> so uh, my husband, Ryan, is really into this. He hopes to go uh, into film criticism one day. Um, and so that's when I also started interacting with film at, and theological themes in film, uh, which was really fun. Um, so then I, now I'm in my second year at Denver Seminary, halfway through uh, with my MDiv with an emphasis in New Testament. Um, and I'm really fortunate to have uh, professors here that care as much about literature as I do, um, because I get to do a lot of metaphor theory and uh, literary themes in scripture, which is just my favorite thing. Um, I also read novels for fun. Um, I read, well, I read everything for fun from, you know, peer-reviewed articles to poetry, count me in. Um, and so Women Talking was my favorite book of 2019. And then after rereading it, um, I actually binge read this book before I saw the movie. I, I read it all day and then I got to go see the movie uh, at night um, in the evening and I realized, you know what, this might be the perfect book for me mm -hmm. because of how much it deals with theological themes and literature and literary themes in scripture. It's like yeah. the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah, I mean, that's a great answer for springing the question on you sorry about that but yeah that was great and and so as you were talking about you know your background um i, I think i knew that you did some literature stuff i didn't know like you like quite how much so that's amazing and yeah, yeah as, as you're talking about that, I was like oh this book really is like the yes. perfect kind of marriage of all the things you love mm -hmm. so i'm so glad to talk to you about it um yeah so i guess that's i, I think you're saying a lot of the things that I appreciate the, about the book as well, because mm -hmm. I'm not a, you know, I'm not studying theology now, but, you know, grew up in, in that world, preacher's mm -hmm. kid, all those kind of things. Yeah. So I think a lot of those things spoke to me as well. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on the book. So this is a big question, but why do you love this book so much? Um, and mm -hmm. I have, I have a few little bullet points of things that I really appreciated about it, but yeah, I mostly want to hear what you have to say uh, about why this book connected with you so much. I think, first of all, I was just stricken by how unique it was. Um, the writing was so simple, but mm. then also it just really depicted 
well and it represented well what it's like for women to talk Mm, and I just felt so represented even though you know I live so far outside of the culture that um Taves represents in her novel Mm. um you know I I live so far out of that world but I could still see myself and my mother and my grandmother Mm. and my daughter like represented in the ways that these women were these women were interacting and so that's part of that was first of all like where I really connected with this is it like she captures what it means to be a woman talking to other women in a room that it's perfect um I also like I've said before the way that these women discuss theology and scripture and I'll touch on this later as well um, when we talk more about the theological themes but just the ways that they are able to relate to a God that's only ever been given to them by their abusers just is so impactful to me, especially being a woman in this field. Um, It's only pretty recent that I'm able to go to seminary. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just felt like such an appreciation for um, the ways that women have always been able to relate to God, um, despite the fact that it's written by men, taught by men, promoted by men, um, and the religion was founded by men. Um, I, so yeah, I, that's just really scratching the surface, but she just gets it. She really does. Wow. That's beautiful. And, and, and that's, I like what you said about like kind of the generational aspect of it too, because that's something mm-hmm. after watching the movie a second time that kind of struck me more. Like there's a moment uh, near the end where I think Marike has has really been through it, but there's a moment it, it's captured in the film more than I remember even in the book, but I think it is, which is like her mother and her daughter are all kind of huddled and it's where she's had a turning point. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Uh. And uh, yeah, just thinking about the kind of the historical aspect of that I think is really amazing yeah I love the book too I I think it just it the way it looks at patriarchy and kind of in the nitty-gritty of it um, I just didn't I was taken aback by just how kind of you were going to get into that the philosophical the theological Mm -hmm. nature of like what this these experiences are like and and to challenge those things and to step away from those things how hard that is Mm -hmm. Um, I think the tone of the book which I think they do get really right in the film as well is really interesting where it's obviously it's very heavy, uh, but there are these moments of lightness where we have the younger characters making jokes and they, Mm -hmm. the things they laugh about sometimes really dark humor that they're kind of um, finding those moments of joy. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a male audience member, Mm -hmm. but there's something that felt kind of like a, a very kind of feminine energy to the film and the book. I think Mm -hmm. something about kind of, the mixing of those things together of sort of the the very mundane like oh we have to do the washing and we have to you know in this society have to do all the the tasks that the men don't want to do right but um still like and, and using the they're all kind of nurturers as well and how they care for the kids and mm-hmm. um and seeing like that's a, a very real part of their lives but also uh all the discussions and the the ways that they take this, uh, the, the the events of the film and of the book. One of my favorite lines too in the book, uh, I can't remember exactly when it is, but it's, um, they have just been discussing like, well, if the Bible says this, so I think we could, you could, we could mm-hmm. do this in our lives. And then the, the way August, the narrator, he, he says he was struck that this may be the first time the women have ever interpreted scripture. Yes. <laughs> so beautiful because they yeah. obviously they're interpreting it in a way that the men in their lives would never have allowed, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, so I think that's great. And uh, yeah, so I guess talking about the book to the film a little bit, were there things, um, how, how did you feel like the adaptation was handled from book to film? Yeah. And we can kind of talk about some of the details of that maybe. Yeah, so I'm not a, so I do prefer books overall to film, but I am really not somebody who's like, the book is always better. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just something that I've kind of grown to realize is I appreciate both mediums as being able to offer unique ways to tell a story. Mm-hmm. That being said, 
it is a really good adaptation. I like ge- like genuinely it stays very close to the book. Um there are only like a couple of things that I was like this is a pretty major difference. Um and even those you could tell they were very intentional mm-hmm. and fit the medium of film if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um and you touched on that uh on August the mm-hmm. um uh, he in the in the book is the narrator uh mm-hmm. because these women can't read or write and so they ask him to come and um you know uh record the meetings and it is really interesting at first in the movie I was like is August just going to be taken out of the equation mm-hmm. like I was wondering how they would handle yeah um a, a male narrator <clears throat> in the film and he does take a backseat in the film which I appreciate um but I you know when I was reading the book the second time I wrote down in my margins is this a neurodivergent narrator mm, I've had that and, thought too mm-hmm. yeah and so my youngest brother has autism and I was like starting to pick up on some of these hyper fixations and like the way that he always reacts to um, how he always reacts to these uh, conversations with facts. Mm, And, um, and then like he, he doesn't fully fit into what they describe or expect for masculinity either. Mm. So it's a really interesting, um, there is a male presence. In fact, the whole book is told from this um, male voice, but at the same time, it's not, what this Mennonite community would consider true masculinity because he doesn't fit into, um, I guess, the standards of what they had. So I I really thought that they handled August well because they they really did bring that to light in the film yeah. in, a, in a very gracious, graceful way. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'd be interested to hear from you, like how you thought yeah. he was handled. August is... you know it's like it's a movie about women like the male character is my favorite one i love the character of august Uh, but it's right so in the in the book he's a narrator obviously in the film it's uh ocha one of the younger women Mm -hmm. and she's like speaking to the unborn daughter of ona which -hmm. is really interesting and leads to some really great um kind of poignant moments and the ending of the film kind of ties in with that as well which i thought was a great way to do that actually (laughs) just skimming through a couple of goodreads uh reviews from just you know random people on the internet mm-hmm. one person was like why is there a male narrator about this woman for book and i was like yeah I, I can see that criticism for sure yes um but like what you're touching on like he doesn't fit into their idea of masculinity and he uh like they call him a half man at some point um yeah. or, or maybe he calls himself that but like they're not afraid to uncover their hair in front of him for right. instance and they oh, yeah, um, that's a good point. they and uh what nettie the character of nettie who doesn't talk to the men at all and really only speaks to the children she's comfortable speaking in front of him as well yeah um and it's really interesting because before i had that neurodivergent thought i you know was just thinking about like him as sort of an ally and sort of like a trusted one of the few yeah. trusted men mm-hmm. in this in this society um yeah just really kind of reading through the book and i, I think so when i was an english major i loved looking at the gender stuff in mm-hmm. in in kind of in different literature and so that was mm-hmm. something i really keyed into yeah. um it's like what's what makes him different uh, and what makes him feel safer than the other men and as a, a man who wants to be you know sensitive and an ally to to yeah. women i think I, I felt a lot of kinship with him and also mm-hmm. i touched on this so this episode is in two parts when i was talking about the movie more i, I talked about this all, already a little bit but just to tell you kind of what I said there was like I think one of my favorite moments in this film is uh near the end when he's talking to I think it's uh Agatha the one of the grandmothers they're they're about to leave yes and he's uh-huh. uh, she says August we're we're also proud of you and he just uh, breaks down and starts weeping yes. and you really get a sense in that moment that and especially reading the book too knowing all the backstory we get on him mm-hmm. like he is frequently felt like a disappointment in his life maybe his yeah. whole life and mm-hmm. you know he doesn't fit this idea of masculinity he doesn't fit uh, he's kicked out of the colony his yeah. parents are that's a whole you know story mm-hmm. um but feeling like he's found a purpose in this 
in this situation like he yeah. can actually help I thought that was so beautiful and so lovely and, and kind of aspirational in a way like yes he's really sacrificing too to to um to provide what the services that he is and, and to help them escape and giving them the map and all those things that he's doing mm -hmm. um anyway so i i do love the character of august and i think it's a yeah. fascinating way into the story to have a man you know a safe man uh kind yeah. of as and they area. and they commission him too they're like you mm -hmm. you need to stay and teach our sons yeah. and that is really powerful too of like you we need you like we mm. we need you to stay and do this work yeah. even yeah. though you don't fit here we understand we like they acknowledge yeah. that like you don't fit perfectly yeah. mm -hmm. but we need you and like that was just so powerful for sure yeah and the idea too of like I mean, oppressed people need allies to yes. to do. There's certain things they can't do. They can't stay and mm -hmm. teach the young boys to be better, but right. he can. He can fill that role. Anyway, yeah. yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Another huge difference that I was really interested in, I was looking and I was like, oh, Frances McDormand is in this movie. And, you know, she's like, she's she was in, I think, the film that won Best Picture last year, right? Was it last yes. year? Nomadland. It was no. two years oh, ago. Oh, two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, she's a big deal. And so I looked on IMDb. I was like, oh, what character is she going to play? I'm so excited. And I see that she's, uh, is it Scarface Janice? Yes, Scarface. Janice? I think Jans. Is, Jans. Is it's funny because like that. that's another difference is, like, in the book, they're speaking low German. And so, like, yes. we have the name Klaus and we have the name, like, all these different names that uh -huh. kind of make sense in that context. But anyway, yeah, Jans, I think Scarface Jans. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what? Who is that? And I had to, like, go back in the book and she's mentioned in passing hmm. at most hmm. like a couple of times and then um her ending ended ends up being ex very different mm -hmm. in the movie than in uh the book as well um because in the book when and you're so much better with the names than i am i'm just not a name person <laughs> literally just because i've read the the movie and like seen the movie twice and yeah yeah i, I only I got to see it once i really <laughs> wanted to go see it again before this but i just didn't get to At this point, we're about to talk spoilers about some plot stuff from the end of the story. Please go watch the movie if you haven't. We're about to spoil the film and technically also the book. Claire Foy, when her character goes and um, do you remember her name? Uh, Salome. Salome. Yeah, when Salome goes and uh, she sedates her son to mm -hmm. like put him in the wagon and to take him away um i hope you've put <laughs> the spoiler uh, warning spoiler, yeah. spoiler <laughs> <laughs> yes i'll do that ahead of time you're in spoiler yeah warning. sorry um but in the book she does that to scarface jans mm -hmm. as well um yeah. but in the movie she stays behind um and i still i still haven't made uh, I, I, I still don't have really yeah. well-formed thoughts about that difference. Yeah, she's an interesting character. So I, I kind of keyed into her more, I think, because I saw the movie first. You know, that just makes me yeah. sense. She's a, a bit of a bigger character and that she, they're at the proceedings at the mm -hmm. beginning and yeah. she sort of represents the, the old school kind of very black and white thinking like, well, if we don't say we forgive the men, then we don't go to heaven. So end of right. discussion, like that's it. And um then and so she ends up leaving but then there's also the kind of the dramatic twist of like her her daughter and granddaughter want to go as well and end up running away at the end of the movie yeah um and she obviously doesn't approve of that and uh yeah so she kind of represents the old guard in a way um and yeah i thought that was a good way in a way she's like a surrogate for the men in a in a kind mm. of a funny way in in the meeting hmm. of course and then leaves and then yeah um yeah, but it's, she is, it is interesting. Like, and I'm trying to remember exactly why she used the the tranquilizer on her in the book. I think it's a, a really kind of beautiful uh, kind of inversion that she uses that, the thing that was their weapon, their, their yes. attackers used on them to save her son. Right. And there's yeah. a quote actually I wrote down about that exact situation because August is like, he's like, why, why, I can't believe you did that. Yeah. And... Um, she says, I had to, he can't stay here. It's just as though I had picked up a sleeping child in the night and carried him away from a house that was on fire. Mm -hmm. That's a really good way to yeah. 
to put that uh, just to highlight some of the really good writing in this book um but yeah she is scarface jans is a really interesting character and i think i think expanding that role to uh because in, in in a way in the meeting you have you know do nothing women they call them who want to do nothing yes. and then who want to yeah. leave and then who want to stay and fight she represents that kind of um point of view before mm-hmm. it's clear that that's not what they're going to do but yeah, yeah. interesting character maybe it's sure. giving her back in the film maybe they want her to keep her agency hmm. um and they want to preserve that decision that she's made yeah um, so remind me in the book does salome use the tranquilizer and then take her yeah on the trail okay wow I can't yeah remember that. Interesting. yeah so she, and it's in passing too she doesn't really give a give a reason i i don't i don't think um but she she just the same thing that she does with her son she does that at the same time hmm. to uh scarface jams and takes her with so um takes her with them yeah and so it was really interesting that they they gave her more of a voice in the film and then they gave her more agency yeah. to see that decision carried through that mm-hmm. she decided mm-hmm. to stay and she didn't keep her um family from leaving yeah like she didn't really fight them from leaving but she was resolute in her decision and Frances McDormand I mean she's really just not in it very much yeah yeah it's surprising like, she's yeah such a big name to not she's be just like a cameo much. yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she really produced well. it as well or something too uh-huh. so like she's involved in that way but yeah, yeah it's such an ensemble piece um but like yeah she doesn't have a huge a huge part in it yeah um one of the other differences I was going to mention is that again we do get so much of August's backstory because he's narrating but we learn about his mother's relationship with Ona and just his mother in mm-hmm. general as yes. they kind of hint at it in the movie but yes. um that she was kind of a dissenter um mm-hmm. and like she was teaching the young girls like a secret school i think it's called teaching them different things and that's how ona knows the word manifesto and like and there's certain lines in the book which you can't really reproduce this in the movie where uh, august in his narration says i've heard my mother say the exact same thing like she's speaking directly from that i thought that was a really cool like the legacy of that um Mm -hmm. even though it's it's over but yeah yeah, just all his backstory is different uh Mm -hmm. as a change um and then this is a kind of a minor thing, but the song that plays the census person comes and in the book, yeah, yeah, it's California Dreaming. Um, but then in the movie, it's Daydream Believer, which is interesting. And I it's really interesting looking at just like so. I've seen a couple other of Sarah Polly's films who directed okay. and wrote this. Um, and in her film, Take This Waltz, she uses music in a similar way where we have. Because in this film, Daydream Believer, they, it plays again, I think maybe at the credits, but like you hear it multiple times. In Take This Waltz, the same kind of thing happens, and it's the song Video Killed the Radio Star. Mm. And it plays over and over, and you realize, oh, there's some kind of thematic material in these lyrics that I think mm. kind of apply to the situation. And so I was like, hmm, what is she doing with Daydream Believer? And I guess it's just, I looked at the lyrics of that song, because I've yeah. heard it a million times, but it's more or less about you know, life is hard, but we can dream for something better, sort mm-hmm. of. So I think that's kind of uh, maybe the reason for that change. But yeah. I, I think it works really well. In the yeah. Film. I wish that there were more. So like one of my favorite parts of the book, and again, I have a lot to say about the theological themes in a second, <laughs> but um, the, the, the nature stories in the mm-hmm. book. Um, in the movie, we only really get one um, about the horses and yeah, like no. how they drive on the road. And um, it's this metaphor of when the horses are able to, when well, no, when I'm able as a driver to mm-hmm. look far ahead, mm-hmm. I'm able to steer straight rather than looking close at the road. And, you know, I, th- my horses are, you know, at that point sporadic and Mm -hmm. feel out of control um and in the book there was so much more of that Mm -hmm. and even there's this hilarious line of like can can we stop talking about whether we're humans or animals Mm -hmm. um because they're relating so deeply to what they've learned about life from farming yeah Um, that's all they know and ona even tells the story it's it's kind of a bookend type story about um she saw these rabbits playing. Do you remember this mm, part yeah, of yeah, the yeah. Mm-hmm. book? And it's my favorite part of the book. And so I was really 
sad that I, they took it out of the movie, but I understand not everything can make it in. But um, she's like, I realized that the point of the rabbits playing was for me to see it. Hmm. Because this is the reason that she gives August at the end Mm -hmm. for why he's there. Because he he asks, you know, like, why did you have me here? Um, Because you guys can't uh, read or write. Um, And she says, August, the point was for you to be here Hmm. and to see it. Um, But um, that was definitely my favorite part. And just how the women were finding other ways to relate to God. And to relate to their identity in a way, um, they had to be creative with it, you know? It's Mm -hmm. just so interesting. But I think that's a great transition. Let's just talk about theology stuff. So you're a seminary student. You spend a lot of time thinking about faith and religion and literature. So I'm curious, does women talking, how does it connect with maybe your personal faith or or the things you've studied or just kind of getting into those theological uh, questions that the book brings up? Yeah, it's a... A good transition, um, to say the least, (laughs) because it really does have to do with, um, so what I think about when I read the book and when I see the movie is there's this theological idea of particular versus universal revelation. Mm. Um, And so I'm just going to read for listeners who may be unfamiliar with this. And for me, because like I've heard of that and it sounds really familiar, but Yes, tell tell us. Let me just clarify. So particular revelation is the belief that knowledge of God and of spiritual matters can be discovered through supernatural means, such as miracles or the scriptures, a disclosure of God's truth through means other than through reason. So when we think of particular revelation um, in the evangelical tradition, um, scripture is like the, the particular revelation that God has given us this word through which to understand and relate to him. Um, and uh, Christ fits under that umbrella of he is the word. And so God sent his son so that we could relate to him and understand him. So that's particular revelation. And then universal revelation is the opposite. So it's general revelation or natural revelation. Um, and it refers to God's revelation made to all men everywhere. So it's discovered through natural means, such as observation of nature, philosophy, and reasoning. Um, And then Christian theologians use this term to describe knowledge of God purported to be made plainly available to all mankind. So this might explain the phenomenon of when I look at, I can see the mountain range. I'm in Colorado right now, Denver, Colorado. I can see the mountain range out of my window and I can feel, wow, (laughs) that is beautiful. Um, and anybody from any religion, um, from any background, from any culture can look at that same mountain range and say, wow, like I feel really small in comparison Mm -hmm. to these mountains. Um, and so what I think, uh, Taves is doing with this book is looking at universal revelation versus particular revelation in a really interesting way. Um, because it's asking a really crucial question of, how does God reveal himself to people when their only access to special or particular Mm. revelation is disclosed through the mouths of their abusers? Mm. Mm. Um, So when people, you know, we can use an example of if a, if your pastor is the one who sexually abused you, but all that you understand about scripture and God and supernatural events has been taught to you by that same person, how can you relate to that God? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the evangelical tradition, I we really tend to elevate um, particular re- revelation over universal revelation um, in ways that can be really harmful, um, especially when you're thinking about this is not a unique uh, idea that Taves is working with. <laughs> mm. Unfortunately, I wish yeah. um, the church has done a lot better uh, with this than they have. But um, one of my friends here is from Africa and he's studying and he was telling me a story about how um, he can't blame his friends from home who hate Christianity because the there are extremists there who will shoot down their family while singing a hymn. Mm. Right. 
And so what do you do with that? Um, and I really think that that's what Taves is working with in how these women are learning about God through their experience of motherhood, um, through their experience with animals, um, through their really paying attention to, okay, what is important to me that must mean something to God? Um, and Eva Ona, even Ona saying like, is it true forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? If mm-hmm. um, it's something that's forced on us, you know, and they're thinking about these things, not because they have a, a scriptural citation that they can look to and say, mm-hmm. well, in Matthew 3.15, it says this, right? They're just going off of their understanding of you know what? Um, <laughs> the guy who teaches Sunday school just raped my three-year-old. Sorry. Like I can't, I cannot think of a world. I have a two-year-old. And so when uh, like this whole story around Meep, mm-hmm. like how, how can, you know, I, I just relate so much with Salome in that anger mm-hmm. of like, I would probably go and get a knife too, (laughs) you know, like just, and you have kids as well, like just that anger and that it's, it's righteous anger. I feel like that we see in scripture of, you know, this is not just, this is not right. And there's something in every human person that is able to acknowledge that without scripture or without any knowledge. If you've never heard you know, the name Jesus Christ before you can acknowledge it is not right to rape children. (laughs) It is not, there is something so evil and horrible about that. Um, and so in that question, I think you asked about like how that connects to my personal faith and it really, really does, um, have implications for that because the reason why I'm in seminary is I really want to make the church a more safe and welcoming place for people who have heard the gospel come from their abusers. Um, And I think specifically of the LGBTQ plus community in this regard of um, the only knowledge that they have of uh, God, any God, um, not just the Christian God uh, is you're not right. You're broken. Um, your, your, your very being, your very nature is sinful. Um, and based off of my study of scripture, um, and it's extensive, but I just do not agree with that idea at all. Um, I think every single person, no matter who they are, who they love, um, has access to, a relationship with God. Um, so I, I just really love this idea of, um, there are ways to relate to God that doesn't have to be so skewed. And that like, even that, um, the African-American church is so vibrant and beautiful and has such a strong tie to the religion of Christianity, but guess who taught them that religion? Hmm. They're slave owners. Yeah. And that is just so beautiful that they're able to relate to God, to God in a way that um, they shouldn't be able to, like, I can't imagine mm-hmm. um, yeah. that. And so I think that's really the theological theme that Taves is working through in such a beautiful and sensitive way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah. No, that's, that's my dump. <laughs> I, I love it. And I think so. Yeah, I think so much of what I related to with this, uh, which uh, you're touching on a lot here is just like the act of leaving as mm-hmm. an act of faith. And I think that's yeah. there yes. they, that comes to a kind of a crux with um, it's uh, one of the, the grandmothers, not Agatha, but um, oh, I can't believe her name. Greta, Greta. Yes. Uh, but she says like they've talked through all this like if we're going to stay true to our faith we can't be violent so we can't be around these people and ona yeah. has this great uh line about it, they, they kind of they talk about you know it's not all men etc it's it's right. this this um 
the system that's being handed to them basically and uh, we could you know again like you were bringing up like we can't be coerced into forgiveness it needs to be true forgiveness but we can't mm -hmm. possibly do that while we're here and yeah. um and so then Greta says, our leaving wouldn't be an act of cowardice, abandonment, disobedience, or rebellion. It wouldn't be because we were excommunicated or exiled. It would be a supreme act of faith and a faith mm -hmm. in God's abiding goodness. Yeah. And then this line, I think, is only in the film because uh, that is pretty much straight from the book to the film. But mm -hmm. then they add, we are leaving because our faith is stronger than the rules. I thought that was a great way mm -hmm. to kind of uh, put that together as well. And so... Yeah, I mean, talk to anyone who's left their church and some of these issues you're bringing up, yeah, like treatment of LGBTQ plus people, treatment of women, those things come up uh, and, and have come up from myself. And, and so I've spent a lot of time talking about this podcast and to other people as well, just like stepping away from a stricter faith that we were taught and, and how challenging and how hard that is. And so mm -hmm. for me, finding this film and then the book that speak directly into that yeah. um, was really uh really moving for me mm -hmm. and uh, i think was why it resonated so strongly yeah. um but, but yeah I, I wanted to respond to some of the things you're saying but i'm trying to remember all right, the i said a points. lot <laughs> that was great that's great um but yeah i, I think it's so another thing about this book and the film that i, I really like is um the it's an act of female imagination uh mm. in the way it's it's like this isn't a true story but let's imagine it were and yeah. and the way it's reframing that that language because you know they say mm -hmm. oh uh we were told they were gaslit that oh, this is demons this is ghosts this is um you know these attacks are not really uh what they are and they said it's just an act of wild female imagination and yeah. so then reframing like, this story which is straight from the book and then put in the film as well is an act of female imagination. And I think that's really cool because we see, I talked about this a little bit on a previous episode about the film one night in Miami, mm. which is about these four historical figures. And it's like, what if they hung out one night? What might've they talked about? It's like, this isn't okay. true, but we're going to imagine this space yes. and that there's value and there's creativity in that. And how like, um, I think my, my, guest on that previous episode said we're we're kind of more used to that on stage like look at like hamilton mm -hmm. like we know this is playing yes. with the truth in a way right. um but in film that's a little bit more rare so i really appreciate that this story does that um and that's a really yeah. rich um scriptural tradition as well mm. that um a lot of um evangelical cr christians have lost because they're really um I said they, I said literary themes in scripture and, um, there are some people who heard that and they get, mm. uh, you know, like, yeah. no, mm. please don't say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in Jewish tradition, uh, there's this, uh, tradition of Midrash. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, with it at all, but bit, yeah. it's, yeah. So it's interacting with scripture in a way that it's alive and you are filling in the blanks that uh, scripture has. So um, what do we know about the midwives who ultimately decided to uh, protect the Israelite boys from being enslaved by the pharaohs? So they, and these Jewish rabbi are just playing with it of, mm. you know, this is what we think could be you know the case um and i think that's really interesting when we think about how we interpret scripture of an act of female imagination because for me it's so interesting since becoming a mother and i'm sure you becoming a father as well when you're a parent you are you understand collective grief hmm. in a way that is so um tangible so you know we see things on the news about children being injured or hurt and i'm not just a mother in denver colorado mm -hmm. anymore i'm that mother too mm -hmm. and i can so easily uh and correct me if this is not your, your experience but like i can just so easily feel the grief and mm -hmm. the hurt and i think that's so great about how women 
interpret scripture as well if like we understand the grief and the desire that Hagar has to protect her baby mm-hmm. right like we don't just read that and we're like oh you know but like and then that God sees her right mm-hmm. yeah. just this idea of I see her I felt that like I want my baby to be fed and protected and taken care of and you even have a unique perspective of that as well. Like just, we all just want our babies to be safe and taken care of. And so I just, the act of female imagination for me is entering into that space of they are all grieving for each other's children. They're all grieving for each other. They all have a connection to Ona's pregnancy immediately. They're like, you know what, that's, that's our baby too yeah right um so I don't know it's just so beautiful what they did with the film and the book I couldn't I hope it wins best picture that's my (laughs) fingers crossed yes that's my vote it was like the last one they announced I was watching I was like I I guess we're not gonna get oh there it is I was so excited but um but yeah it's it is such an interesting film and and way to look at the story and so I think to like I've heard people say this kind of thing about like the handmaid's tale, for instance, mm-hmm. which is like obviously very heavy. And it's, it's like, yeah. Oh, that's not really useful because it's not a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, or that it's just sort of like an echo chamber kind of a piece of artwork or something yeah. like that. Um, but I think there still is value in, you know, there's, there are truths within that, that, that we can pull from. And I think this story again, like it's not a true story, right. but like your classmate from Africa, said like these situations are far too common in our world and um i think that's why like like as you said at the beginning like i'm not a mennonite like i didn't grow up in this strict of an environment Mm -hmm. but there's so much that resonates with the way people talk about the bible the way people talk about Mm god and like what you're talking about with midrash and everything like that sort of interpretive lens is kind of flies in the face of what I was taught was okay, you yes. know, as a kid, yeah. like, the, mm-hmm. the Bible is this inerrant thing, and yeah. you don't step outside of these, you know, commas and periods that yeah. <laughs> uh, are put there by people. Um, yes. <laughs> but <laughs> um, having that sort of expansive look at it, and and what you said about, um, you know, when the abusers are the one interpreting for us, that's mm-hmm. even directly. I think Ona says something like that in the book, like, well we know that's what the bible says only because of what we've been yes. told so like we might yes. not even be right about that so they start to even question that um yeah. level of everything so which also yeah just felt so much kind of <laughs> feeling seen by some of those things as i was reading and yeah. as i was watching the film um yeah i think anyway. that um miriam taves is like I've described her as the greta gerwig of literature <laughs> nice. um just the way that she writes uh and um Amy Sherman Paladino I don't know if you've watched um The Marvelous Miss Maisel or oh, Gilmore yes, Girls okay. mm-hmm. um she wrote both of those and they are both so amazing at like creating like the female experience of like mm-hmm. what it's like to have like a true feminine conversation mm-hmm. um and like Miriam Taves like she's just done an a fantastic job of it and i read her other book fight night um that should be next on your list okay yeah so right. i've been thinking <laughs> hopefully they make, make a movie out of it as yeah. well so i understand like roughly every other book of hers is set in a mennonite community i think so because uh, she grew up in that something like that environment i think yeah yeah it, but fight night isn't okay. so um but i haven't read all um her other ones i'm i want to read everything she's written because yeah, of just skimming through her wikipedia it seems like yeah exactly it <laughs> goes back and forth and like, here's a mennonite story and here's yes. something else but yeah fight night of her it's i think is the one people recommend so i yeah, yeah. i gotta add it to my list for sure <laughs> uh, i was gonna see if there's anything else i had in my notes about mm-hmm. just the theological things that i felt <laughs> watching this movie i think um I mean, problem of evil, obviously, is a big question for a lot yeah. of people, but it comes up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Salome also who has a big kind of fiery speech, which I think is pretty much directly yes. from the book into the film. About, yeah. Um, 
you know, essentially kind of questioning what God is like, and mm -hmm. then in, in ending with, if he's omnipotent, why did he not prevent this from yeah. happening? Which yeah. is the kind of question so many people have asked. And yes. uh, has, yeah, definitely been. And no one has found a good answer. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. I like, yeah. too, there's a moment in the book where I think it's just August retelling a story, filling in some context about at one point there was a substitute bishop. At maybe at the neighboring colony or something. It's like a really right. kind of tenuous relationship. He ended up being run off because he doesn't believe in hell. And I thought, oh, this is an interesting little aside. Yeah. And he he used an argument that I've heard people use before too. That I, I like like he's the, to the to the very faithful congregants. Like I don't think you really believe in hell either because yeah. you go home at night and relax when you believe that. Yeah, you know, your sons who have left the church are going to be burning in hell. Like, yeah. if you really believe that in your bones, wouldn't you do more about it? Mm -hmm. uh, so that was an interesting inclusion. That was yeah, that was great. Yeah. And I and I will be using I'll steal I'll steal that light of thought as well <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for yeah. sure. That yeah, that is brilliant. That's good. Um, what else? Just the use of language and how important language is, I think, is really cool mm -hmm. too. Um, mm -hmm. With you know, like you're talking about with what they haven't been able to read for themselves, but then also some of the ways that language is used to control them. Uh, like yeah. in the book, there's this idea of narfa, which is like a, maybe yes. it's from the low German, I can't remember, but it basically means yeah. nervousness. And it's like a mm -hmm. condition that some of the women have. And it's, it seems very gendered and very sexist, but it's- And August uh, has it too, doesn't he? Oh, I think that's right. I think that's yeah. right. Yeah. So they've declared, you know, that Ona has Narfa and I mean, she's very nervous and she, uh, so basically she can't be trusted for that reason. Um, and actually there's a line in the book that I wrote down. Let's see. So because, you know, she has Narfa, people are kind of wary of her. And um, he says, Ona is thought to have lost her fear, which is akin for colonists to having lost one's moral compass. The huh. idea that like fear is all, you know, as mm -hmm. you know, a moral compass from your faith. Yeah, that, was a, that is a cool really way to write good. That. Yeah. And then, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just, I was just going to say that their interaction um, is just so interesting. Yeah. And that's an aspect of the film. I think it, it does. I don't know that it necessarily adds a lot to their relationship, but mm -hmm. I think taking away August as a narrator, it does, it, like to give him a little bit more to do maybe or something like their relationship is, is a kind of a bigger part of the story. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's handled really well. And uh, yeah. Another theme that I really enjoyed was the theme of worship and mm. what that looked like in that space mm. um, with singing songs together mm. um, in grief. And then I think, there are these moments where, and the movie captures this so beautifully, and I was so happy about that because it's my favorite part of the the book of um, them breaking out into these fits of laughter. Mm -hmm. And it feels, uh, from what my understanding of worship is, feels very worshipful that mm -hmm. they're able to have some semblance of joy yeah. um, and relationship with each other. Um, because like, it's my understanding that these are their husbands and their hmm. brothers and their sons that are doing this to each other. Yeah. And it's so powerful that they are all coming together and, um, they are really struggling and this trans character, mm -hmm. um, that they really developed in the movie in, mm -hmm. in a very helpful way, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was going to bring that up too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just so powerful that, you know, the power of naming him, can you remember what, can you remember what his name was? Uh, Melvin. Melvin. Yeah. Just like, and that's when he responds mm -hmm. as he, he's mm -hmm. like, thank you for using my name. Um, and just, the, yeah, like the, just this deep bond that they all have with each other in a very congregational, hmm. worshipful way is just so so great yeah yeah that's so true and, and yeah because they, they break out into the hymns in the film yeah. and i wasn't sure that they would uh, just because yeah. it's i don't know it feels it feels less cinematic somehow but i'm, I'm really glad it was included yes um but yeah I, I did mean to bring up it's so nettie slash melvin is the character 
who is trans and it's a bit different in the book but they i think they change it in the film in a way that is helpful as you said mm -hmm. so in the book there's some line about um she didn't want to be abused anymore and so she decided she didn't want to be a woman yeah. and, and which you know i i understand in that context like I, I think that is a valid thing but i think um in the film it's it's more straightforward that Nettie's trans or Melvin is trans mm -hmm. and that uh there's a some line in the narration about and then oh she we eventually understood that she knew she was never a woman yeah um and and also just because I think it, it, it kind of helps dispel the idea that I, th I think there's sort of a a narrative that people in the queer community want to avoid anyone correct me if I'm wrong about this but like the idea that oh my experience as this gender yes. wasn't good so I'll just change right. it, like it, it helps to kind of push that away from the story because I don't mm -hmm. think that's what even the book was going for um, yeah. but but the way it's phrased you could kind of develop it in that way but i think the film handles it really well yeah. yeah and it's at that point too where you have to pay very careful attention to the narration um because yeah. you have to um in a in a book a lot more than a film you have to stay true to the narrator mm -hmm. um and their point of view and how they might interpret something yeah. and in a mennonite community I'm assuming, uh, based off of the film and the book, this community had no um, yeah. paradigm for mm -hmm. what it meant to be trans. Yeah. Um, and so that was really, yeah, like you said, adding that in of there was always a part of her that felt like a man um, was just really important and needed to be said in a way that the book couldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah, um, because it's really trapped cool. within this um, point of view mm -hmm. that, you know, it can't really uh, transcend. So, yeah, yeah it's so good. For sure. That's a really good, really good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Well, any other theological things that uh, you wanted to bring into this? And I'll see if I have anything else in my notes. Oh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> I think That's I've all that I have in my notes. Stuff, yeah. Um, well, we can maybe kind of wrap up. Yeah, for sure. I think that this has been a great conversation and thank you so thank much you. for, uh, for joining the show. Is, is there anywhere that you're, um, online that people can follow you, that sort of thing? Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram as Maddie May reads. It's, um, M-A-T-T-I-E-M-A-E -E reads. Um, I post about the books that I read and what I like about them there. Um, and then I'm on Twitter as, the Maddie May, so T-H-E-M-A-T-T-I-E-M-A-E. -E -E. um, if you've read this book and you're like itching to talk to somebody about it <laughs> or seen the film, please reach out to me because I was telling Andrew, I think before that I haven't met anyone who's read or seen it yet. So I just really want to talk to people about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's I'll link to all those things in the show notes too. But yeah, I, I don't cool. know anyone else who's read the book. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just when you tweeted at me, I was like, oh, we got to we got to talk about this for sure. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think it's been a really great discussion. And I love hearing your perspective as a seminary student, bringing in some of those things that, yeah, again, that I've heard of that. What does that mean again? Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, well, we can wrap up there. Thank you again, Maddie. Mm -hmm. We'll have to have you back. Uh, you know, I love to do kind of these religion and film things. So I'm sure yeah. there will be another reason to have you on the show. Uh, Please do. This was a blast. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, great. I guess we can say bye-bye for now and we will talk to you next time. All right. Have a great day. <laughs> Thanks, Maddie. I very much loved talking with Maddie about all of this and I'm so grateful she came on the show. I will have to have her back. Maybe next time there's a good literary film adaptation. Reminder to go back and listen to part one of this episode in case you missed it. I talk with film critic Lindsay Dunn about the film women talking with a focus on the cinema of it. Things like performances, direction, etc. She has a lot of wonderful things to say about this story too, so please give that a listen. And stay tuned, coming up on the show, we're doing an episode on The Fablemans, which is the latest from Steven Spielberg, and I'm cooking up a new series on the films of Darren Aronofsky, which I'm very excited about. 
And with that, thank you so much for listening to Art House Garage. We have a few years worth of episodes now. You can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. Learn more at appallingproductions.com. If you want to support Art House Garage, become a patron over at patreon.com slash arthousegarage or find a link in the show notes. You can also buy an Art House Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com slash shop. If you want to support us without spending any money, leave a rating or review in your podcast app and that is hugely helpful. Stay in the loop about Art House Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe or you can email me directly andrew at arthousegarage.com and of course follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening and until next time, keep it snob free. 